Hi guys, welcome back to the Moringa podcast. This is Kevin Ahere. So last weekend we had the chance to visit uh, the Nairobi Game Jam which was happening at Nairobi Garage. It was an interesting experience. Um, we got to build a few games and ideate on stuff we want to build in the future. So in connection to that, today we have a special guest lined up for you. His name is Collins Cheriot. He's a game developer and also a full-stack software engineer. Collins, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I'm Collins, I'm a full-stack uh, developer and also a game developer using Unity and uh, I have a few games on Google Play. So today I'm here to share my experience uh, on the Kenyan market uh, according to gaming. Uh, I'll have to talk about a few things. Collins, thanks a lot for joining us. So um, first, I just want to know, when did your interest in gaming first start? Um, like when, when, you, when you were younger, what games did you really like to play? Like my personal favorite was, was Tekken 3. Did you ever play Tekken? Yes, yes, I played Tekken when I was young, but no, my favorite used to be uh, NFS Underground, the, the one where you race uh, with your fellow uh, players. That was my favorite game when I was young. That's PlayStation 2, right? Yes, but we also had uh, a cracked version for the PC because that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. you, guys, you guys are young, man. You guys As we started with like Sega Saturn and it was my my best my best game was FIFA ninety four. FIFA ninety. Oh my With Bet and Romario, man. Wait, wait, wait. I have a question. Was it black and white? <laughs> <laughs> These people from Stonehenge. <laughs> Actually, also played Ending Man. That was the black console with two buttons on it. And the keyboard and shooting the ducks and all these things, but by then I think the yeah. the PlayStation One had debuted. I think yes. in in 1995. Yes, yes. So, um, Melissa, no, did you have any favorite games growing up? Yeah, I really liked uh, Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked all the Bond games. Yeah. Um, but I grew up with a lot of brothers, so I think I think my experience was very gendered. Yeah. Ah, for me it was a uh, police and robber. <laughs> uh, it was not on a console it was literal people running and kicking each other <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, when i started uh, when i had, when i got my hands on a console and a controller yeah, i i enjoyed nfs need for speed and fifa today to those are actually the only two games i can stand <laughs> so yeah, yeah. you didn't uh, for, uh, for me my favorite game was uh, if anyone remembers Prince of Persia, mm. the first ones, the 2D ones, mm. the stick figure guy running around, uh, killing people with the sword. And after that, when the games got a bit more advanced, I'd say Assassin's Creed. Yeah, that's my favorite game. Mm. Yeah. And what about mobile for, for you guys? Uh, for mobile, I don't play mobile Snake. games. Melissa. Snake. Ah, Snake yeah. for, for the Nokia yeah. 510. Snake is still there. Um, for me, I'd say um, obviously NFS, Taken, um, another Gran Turismo. Um, there's this one for the Chinese, maybe Tomb Raider, but there's this other one for Adventure for Chinese. I can't remember the name, but yeah. Do you guys remember Game Boy? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was actually my yeah. first console. And uh, there was Rayman. Taken one with the PS with the PS before it was you know people think the first PS is PS one no mm-hmm. no the first PS is PS mm-hmm. 
Then they did PS1, which was kind of the same, but a very smaller version of it. Yeah. Then PS2. PS was the square one, right? Then it was just grey. Yes, yeah. The, yeah, it was just PS. Then then it became PS1, and then PS2. So the first PS is not PS1. You learn new things every day. <laughs> <laughs> From older people. Do you, guys, do you guys think that all the characters were very like male oriented like it was always you know bond or yeah it's no joke yeah it's, it's, scorpion yeah. or like the like, what no, female games are you guys playing Tumbrella. only only like Mary-Kate and Ashley Mary-Kate and Ashley had a game where you really uh, yeah Mary-Kate and Ashley um I can't remember any other female game all, the, all, all those other ones involved swords and cars yeah, yeah. but Mary-Kate and Ashley had a makeup thing you could buy stuff the modern one is the Kim Kardashian yeah. game, so yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, you can argue it because it's easier to sell male games. Yeah, is you know. Yeah, okay. yeah no, no, I, I feel it's it's, it's, a, it's a thing that you want to feel the action, not to dress something up. No, no offense to yeah. you. Yeah, but there are female characters who are mm. dressed in like a uh, Mortal Kombat. There, mm. I saw yesterday on a feature uh, I saw on YouTube. Um, the females are dressed to please the male. It's like yeah. the yeah. sexualized and stuff like that. So. But even even the males, the male characters aren't dressed to please the male they're dressed to please the females they're all buff <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's either way because they, they take the idealism of the, what we as rather the female, west yeah. find as the ideal form of the male form and then they take what they you know they find the ideal form of the female form it's either it's it's both ways yeah but what do you think about diversity in gaming so not just a male female thing but i would rarely see african or black characters or people with different abilities mm. right so you had like superpowers um, i remember borai cho in i think mortal kombat like people had interesting superpowers but mm. i think our game supposed to be a reflection of society or they're supposed to be a fantasy both both, both yeah. right a bit of both yeah. because i think sometimes you see like most games are also built on let's say myths from different cultures and whatnot. Mm. so i think this also feeds into the creative aspect of 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 humanity so if you're inspired by something that is not necessarily real per se but something from a cultural backdrop that you understand and that you resonate with and gives you like the drive to create something that reflects your appreciation for this so you'll, you you will have such characters with different powers and such and such but also i think games should actually be a reflection of what we experience in reality or should actually reflect like uh events that will happen a good example is like mm, a game like the last of us if you've played it it's this something about like a post apocalyptic world so i think it reflects for example the possible scenarios of our world after maybe uh, either an extinction event or adverse climatological events or something of that sort so it shows how we will deal with certain with such a situation like let's say the remnants of civilization after that point in time yeah. so it, it it goes both ways yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting views from you guys. Um, I've never thought of games as a platform for diversity, but now that you bring it up, I see that um, yeah, it's a valid discussion we need to have. I think the the only black um, character I've seen in a fighting game, a mainstream one, was was like a witch doctor character on Street Fighter. Did you guys, did you guys ever see that? <laughs> no. no, but Ellie, yeah. Ellie, Ellie is black. 
Yeah, yeah, Um, uh, my experience with gaming has been quite a journey because uh, when I first played uh, those games on the first and uh, when you play a few on the phone as well, my favorite uh, playing on the phone is uh, a game by Pickpock called, uh, I, I don't remember the name right now, I'll just leave it much, much later. When you play those games, you realize how much, uh, how much, really, how much time games take from your daily life and at least it gives you some escape from uh, the everyday hard work, everyday, uh, everyday routines. So uh, my interest started when I first went to university, that was in Jaycourt, and uh, that was when I first uh, heard of Unity, uh, the, the Unity engine that is meant to build games using uh, C-sharp. And uh, after that, I also came across uh, a really good tool called Billbox, that is a drag-and-drop sort of engine where you, where you don't need to really code your games, but you just need to drop assets and uh, set the motions, and uh, the, the, the gameplay will be, set, will be built for you. So that was where my first interest in building games... Uh, that was where I, I got my interest in building games. Then I... I With now the vast resources on YouTube, you get to get uh, templates, you get concepts, you get uh, tutorials on how to build games. So the, the easy ones that you can build, for example, the popular game by Kenyan, um, Kenyan artist. We, we heard the one called Bungoma Hangman. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really, really interesting game that, uh, that many Kenyans could relate with. Uh, Yeah. yeah, so for a bit of context, um, the Bungoma Hangman is a man in Kenya who was so passionately attached to um, a deceased politician, so he chose to like grab onto a chopper that was flying off and hang off it. So um, Kenyans decided to make a game out of it, and it's actually brilliant. So Victor, can you remember um, when you were trying to make your first game, like what was, what was going through your mind at the time? Collins. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Uh, what was going through my mind when I first created my first game uh, was just a lot. <laughs> no, the thing is, when, when, you, when you want to build your game, at, some, at first you, you want to build a game, but you don't have all the mechanisms clear. Mm -hmm. You don't have uh, the design, the, 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 the game flow, how it should happen, mm -hmm. what characters should do, what they should not do, how they will die, how, how they should, uh, how they should re revitalize their life and everything. Mm -hmm. So when you first build your games, you don't have all that in mind. You just want to watch a simple tutorial and build whatever that person in the tutorial is building. Mm -hmm. That is how you first build your first games. Then now uh, you go and add more functionalities to it. So my first real game from Unity Engine was uh, a plane that was just flying in space. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just flying in space, doing nothing at all, just a simple control to tilt, to maybe right, maybe left, yeah. 
So, to uh, to ask you a question, uh, when you're building these complex games where you have a lot of character development and characters, you know, achieving something in life, would it help for you to have like a storyteller, someone who actually a uh, profession profession is, you know, telling stories and someone that can bring that creative aspect to the game? Yeah, the the, the storytelling part of games is really interesting because when you get to see games fall under two categories mostly. Uh, mm. We have the hyper-casual games uh, that are built by companies like Ketchup, Voodoo, mm. and Lion Games. So hyper-casual games are just those games where you, when you have 10 minutes to rest, you, you just pick your phone, play it, and those games are really, really addictive. For example, we have one called Rise Up. Mm. We had one called Helix Jump. We had, yeah, those kind of games whereby you don't, you don't really need to have a strategy to win, but they're just really addictive. Then now we have other categories of games, uh, the, the games that require you to have an actual strategy for you to win. So we have games like Clash of Clans, mm. uh, Rise of Kings, and we have even Candy Crush and the, uh, the, the Riskins by Candy Crush. Those are games that require you to have a strategy to win. So for such games that require strategy, sometimes you need to have a story to follow along. Mm. That is where, where the user needs to understand what they need to do to win the levels and what they need to do to get more life, what they need to do to get uh, to get the best out of the game. So that's why you, when you need a sort of a story tell your storyline. And um, I mean, since you're also a full stack web developer, yeah. um, what are the differences or similarities in game design and web design? Uh, I'd say uh, the similarities and differences, it, it, it all lies on the uh, engine or the platform you're using. Because when you use a, a platform like Unity, Unity 3D, it's based on C Sharp. And C Sharp is sort of not far from uh, other programming languages. Mm -hmm. But no, there's one called Cocos 2DX. I've not used it so much before, so I, I don't really understand it so much. So I'd, I'd rather talk about Unity. So for Unity, when you understand C Sharp and how everything works, how to have buttons do certain things, it's all not far from web development. Yeah. Let, me, let me ask. Huh? Yeah. I see many games, and most games are free to download, right? Especially mobile mobile games. Yes. How, how does I game dev how do you make money from games how what makes money do you have to create a bunch of free games and hope one day you'll make one that you can sell maybe to ps or the big game developing companies or how do you make money from games uh for mobile games the the, the aspect of monetization is really interesting because uh first games need to make your money to support your your living because you find that you spend a lot of time on the games, whether it's improving them, whether it's creating new ideas, whether it's uh, coming up with new strategies or extra levels for the games, you need to get money from that game you're building. So for, for, for money, we have three models. Uh, we have getting revenue from plain advertising. That is whereby in between levels, you can get an advertisement being thrown to the user. And when the user clicks on that advertisement, uh, you get a little bit of some money from that click. Then the model number two we have is called in-app purchases. So in-app purchases is whereby a user has to actually pay real money for a product inside the game. Whether they're paying for extra levels or uh, more coins or uh, 
more ammunition they actually require money so that is where by uh, that is where google play comes in uh, that when the user wants to purchase something um, google play will take the transaction and whether it's their credit card or mpesa that gets charged the money goes to the uh, to the developer and a certain portion goes to google play it's at the moment it's at 30% so it's 30% for both stores, App Store and Google Play. Yeah. Then uh, model number three for revenue making uh, is a combination of both. You can have advertisements and, uh, and, and inner purchases for both. And then we have the fourth version that is whereby you sell games directly. So when you go to Google Play, sometimes you get that some games are not free. You have to pay for the money upfront. So that is how developers make money. Okay, uh, yeah. a, a follow up on that, huh? yeah. on the AdSense, right? The ad revenue. Yeah, advertising. It's only when a user clicks on the ad. You don't get paid when just showing the ad. Yes, you don't get paid for just showing an advertisement. A user has to actually convert. So converting means clicking on that advert, visiting that website. Yeah. So I have a question. So there's normally this habit by people who rely on online advertising to use click farms to generate uh, revenues. So is that a problem when it comes to game developers in the sense of some people being uh, using unethical means to generate more revenue from their games and such? Yes, uh, the, the click farms is a problem in the gaming industry as well because, but not directly uh, in our revenue, but when you have people clicking or fake clicking uh, ads inside the game for just their, to increase their revenue. It becomes a problem to us when we have to advertise our games because sometimes I need to spend money to advertise my game to give it more exposure. Now, when I'm paying for adverts and someone, someone is fake clicking them and I have to pay for those clicks, that's where it becomes a problem to me. But Google, I, I, I use Google for my advertising and uh, Google have a good mechanism to cope with the fake clicks. So it's not really a big problem at the moment. Yes. Um, you've, ta you've touched on using Google for advertising. Huh? Yes. Just walk us through this, uh, walk us through the, yeah, walk us through the, Procedure. The procedure of, okay, you've developed your game, yeah. now you want to make money from it. So those those three ways, right? Yeah. So before that, you need people to download your game. So how would you like advertise with Google? Open an account, you know, how much is it? Uh, and uh, just walk us through how you advertise. And then after advertising, yeah. tell us the you, you personally, which, which mode of uh, revenue generation do you use and why? Because most of the time it's a personal preference, but why, okay? Yes. Yeah. So let me break it down in terms of uh, when you first build your game, the whole procedure to publishing it to now getting money. So when you've built your game and you've tested everything is working, levels are behaving the way you want them to. Now you need to, you need to uh, insert adverts inside the game. So for Google, they have uh, for mobile advertising, they have a platform called AdMob. So AdMob is, is a short for advertising on mobile. Yeah. Now, uh, for that, when you, for me, I used Unity, and for Unity, they have a plugin that you need to install to your game and uh, in, insert a few lines of code to make uh, your game receive advertisements from Google. 
So when, when all that has been configured on AdMob and you have, you have had your advertisement ID set for your game and you have your game published. So to publish your game, you first need to have a developer account from Google. And uh, for that, it's at $25. It's not free. But it's a one-time a one-time purchase uh, that is valid for the lifetime of that account. So when you when now when you have the developer account, you can publish games. Uh, by publishing, it means you're now making the game available to all the users uh, on the Android platform. Now, assuming your game is now live on Google Play, a user can actually download it. And you had configured your advertisements, everything was set. You have tested the advertisements and made sure you are actually calling advertisements. So when a user downloads the game from Google Play and uh, they want to play it, when they are playing it, occasionally your advertisements will be shown in between levels. Now, when a user clicks on that advertisement that is being shown on your game, that is where you get revenue or you get something small from your game. And also when I use, a, for, my, for my model, I also use inner purchases and uh, the market for inner purchases is not really big in, on, the, on the developing countries. I, I, I mostly get uh, users purchasing uh, or users doing the inner purchases transactions mostly from the top tier countries. That is being United States, uh, Canada, France, Germany, uh, Britain and all. So uh, that is where the revenue from inner purchases comes from. And now, uh, coming to your question again, when you want to advertise your game. So when you want to advertise your game, you also need to partner with Google, but you now need to have an AdSense account. So there's a difference between the two. AdMob is for you to get advertisements on your game. That is advertisements to be shown on your game. But AdSense is for you to advertise your game to the outside world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to advertise your game, you need to have an account on AdSense. It's free to open it, and then you, you'll have to uh, deposit some cash that will be used to advertise your game, and then you can set some advertising uh, lines or some call-to-action words such as, hey, you like such a game, please download it. That could be a call to action uh, button. So that is how you advertise your game to the outside world. And then getting revenue will be using AdMob and the inner purchases. Okay, so uh, before getting actually even to the advertising part of the game, I feel like there's one important step you, I would like to ask you, which is picking the name of the application. Because we all have to admit that at the end of the day, it's, it's the entry point, it's what the users see. So how do you go about picking a name for your application? That's a really interesting question. Uh, it, picking the name is part of a process that we call ASO. It stands for App Store Optimization. This is whereby you need you want to choose a name that uh, stands a better chance at being found out in Google Play. So when you want to have uh, a name for your application, now depending on the type of the game, uh, you need to first understand what are users searching for that are that that is related to your game. So, for example, if I have a match three kind of game, mm. I know that people on Google Play are searching for Candy Crush. Uh, they're searching for maybe uh, Juicy Fruit, such kind of stuff, and they're mm. also searching for maybe something like offline games to play or something like uh, matching games. So, when I want to now build my game and name it to be found by those searches, I need to go 
to the free tools that we have online that give you the traffic score for each keyword. Mm-hmm. So for, for that, I usually use a tool called Sensor Tower. Sensor Tower and Mobile Action. So both give you the um, traffic score for each keyword. That is uh, roughly how popular that keyword is being searched for on Google Play. So when you have a keyword that has a traffic score of maybe 30% and above, that is a really nice keyword. So, for example, if, if, if I'm building a game right now, the first keyword that I'd want to have in my name would be something like Match 3 Game, mm. because that is what users are searching for. <coughs> and then what I, what I also want to have maybe inside the game should be something like Candy, mm. because I know users will be searching for Candy Crush. But since you cannot use that name Candy Crush as it is patented by King, mm you'll have something like Candy Match 3 Game. So when I have an app called Candy Match 3 Game, it means it stands a better chance to be found by someone searching for matching games, uh, Candy Game and such. Because when, when, you, when you have a name like Candy Match 3 Game, it means when a user search for Candy Game, I'll rank for it. When a user search for Match 3 Game, I'll search for it. When a user search, search also for something like games and mm. still rank for that so that is how you choose your name of your game then uh, you also have to optimize your description and uh, in google play we have the short description and the long description so a short description is almost something like uh, 10 words to convince your user why they should download your game so for mine i usually like to remind the user why they need to play my game so inside my short description i'll have i'll, I'll tell them something like play the best match three game now it's free and fun so with that sort of uh, sentence it means you, you you're reminding the user this is a free game it's also fun and uh, they need to play it so it's something like a call to action as well then now for your long description you have a character limit of 4,000 characters on Google Play. That means you can you have a space of 4,000 characters to play around, get uh, get words that you want to target the keywords. If I'm targeting candy, game, match, uh, free, offline, such kind, it means for in these 4,000 uh, characters I'm given, I need to have those words repeating themselves at least five times in the mm. description. So when I have those words repeating themselves, and they should occur naturally, because you cannot, uh, you cannot force a user to, or rather you should not, you're not allowed to repeat yourself too much to the point that uh, Google Play will find it as a Spam. spamming. They actually so, have a word for it, I can't yes. remember. But so maybe to give you an example of what I, what I do for mine, I have in my description something like, Start exploring your sweet candy adventure today. Swipe and match yummy candies to create crispy explosions and unwrap cold rewards and boosters. Take on this game and explore thousands of exciting levels with fun fun boosters, magic candy, and plenty of puzzle games for free to satisfy your sweet tooth in the candy wonderland. That is a, a... a starting line for your description that you can use to also remind the user why they need to download your game and uh, also... Inside that description, I have my keywords inside, but the user does not need to know that uh, it's um, I'm spamming them because they should appear as naturally as possible. So another question that I'd like to ask is um, about your brand name. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it comes to a question where if you feel like you, 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 you've created enough games, for instance, and on Google products, yeah. all of them almost, almost all of them prefix with Google. 
You know, there's Google Play, there's Google Music, there's yes. Google, Google everything, Google Maps, Google. Do you feel like that will be an ideal approach for a small game developer? No, maybe not small, but you get the drift, yeah? For someone who is not such as a big uh, commanding influence to, to, you, to, prefix, to prefix with their names. Yes. Given, actually, considering the fact that, Paula, you have only... Uh, apparently, Google Play trims your title at 25 characters. So is, is, that, is that a wise use of, you know, that 25 characters to add your name? Yes, uh, f- from what I'm getting is that you're trying to ask whether uh, your name, your publisher name, mm. has some weight on, uh, on the search terms. Exactly, yes, yes. Yes, it has, a, it has, I think, a 20% score on weighting. That is, when I search for a game on Google Play, I can either search the game by the name or just by the publisher. For example, right now, if I wanted to search for Candy Crush, I could search for Candy Crush the name or I could just search for King. King. And when I look for King, the first result I get on Google Play is Candy Crush Saga. Candy Cr- the second one being Candy Crush Soda. And then we have Farm Heroes and Candy Crush Friend Saga. So your name has a 20% weight on the effect of the results that will be returned. So for, for mine, I called it uh, Lollipop Games Free because I wanted to also target the keywords Lollipop Games and I also wanted to target free games. Mm-hmm. So that, that way I'll have it in my brand name. Okay, uh, coming to the next, I was looking at this case study. Okay. I, I have sadly forgotten the name of the application, but uh, once they, 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 oh yeah, it, it was an application about books. Uh, it was an application that was allowing parents to educate their kids, not parents, application to educate kids via the application, Jesus. Anyway, so <laughs> um, they started off with one book and they would sell it at one ninety-nine, And then... Dollars. Okay. Yeah. And then they, they added another book and they charged again one ninety nine. And they found that uh, people will just buy one or the other. Yeah. But then they made a package to yeah. buy both books at two ninety nine. Yeah. And they realized that there was seventy percent of the people that uh, that bought one book yeah. bought both books combined. Meaning that most of the clients that bought all the books were clients that were buying were already existing clients in India. So after realizing this, they added another eight books in their line and they packaged all of them at t- uh, 9.99. And they realized that, they re- of course, the number of purchases went down quite considerably. But the number of clients that they already had, I think it was 60% of them, they bought all the entire package. Yeah, so it got to a point and they realized that uh, basically the, the, the lesson from this case study was that uh, what you need to care about is uh, your already existing clients for the most part. Yes, you have to focus on, on, on uh, new clients, but you need to maintain the ones that you already have existing. So my question will be, in a game like yours, uh, maybe you have a game, uh, actually what game do you have? It's a much three kind of game. It's called Lollipop Candy. Okay, so in a, in, on Google Play. Yeah. in a game like that, what kind of approach would you use to make sure that you are, you know, increasing, if you need to increase, uh, that is your pricing for inner purchases and everything. Do you have like a way you would package it or something like that? Yes, it's really interesting that mm. uh, you, you came up with the question about increasing prices because one month ago I did uh, changes in the pricing and it's turned out really well. Mm. So first thing first, maybe to clarify on the approach is that when you when you're releasing your game the first maybe a thousand users you get 
will be the most valuable users you'll have you'll you'll have in your game because those are the users that will give you the feedback that you'll have to fine tune your game before now spending you don't need to spend so much on advertising when you, when you first launch your game because your game will always have bugs your game will always have something not being in the right place some experience not being the best so the best approach is when you first have your your, your first batch of players take into account their feedback when you when you've now fine tune your game to uh, fit what the users have been asking for and still aligned to what you wanted your game to provide that is when you can now spend on advertising to acquire more users or rather to get more exposure now coming to the uh, aspect about pricing initially for my game i had uh, the cheapest in a purchase was at uh, $1 for some coins and the most expensive purchase was at five dollars for uh, a bigger amount of coins now with that uh, i used to make a little cash <laughs> not so much because users will, will always purchase something like one dollar two dollars three dollars occasionally you get a user uh, purchasing something at five dollars but now uh, when you compare uh, similar games on google play their cheapest uh, was at $1 and their most expensive package was at $99. And when you, get, when you go and see the revenue figures, you, you'd find that uh, they make in between $20,000 to maybe $200,000 a month from just those uh, sales. So that is when I decided to also do something about the pricing. So I went ahead and uh, edited my prices and uh, the number of coins that you purchase so at the moment we have the cheapest being a uh, hundred coins going for one dollar and then we have the most expensive package going for ninety nine dollars and that for ninety nine dollars you get fifteen thousand coins for the game so an interesting thing is when you set that price you you, you really think someone maybe might not buy it because they consider expensive but Trust me, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe um, you can tell us more about your game. So what is it about? So the game is a match three kind of game. That is, uh, you need to, you'll be matching, you'll be matching maybe two or three elements inside the game to win. Sort of like Candy Crush. Now, uh, for the game itself, uh, maybe to give you a rough figure on the revenues that uh, the game. Users from USA, the top tier countries, they they actually purchase things inside the game. So when you have when you're offering quality to the user, they they are willing to pay for it. Some have even gone as far as paying up to forty dollars for just coins. So when when a user feels like they're getting the service for what they really need, they'll pay for it. And how many downloads have you had so far? At the moment, I'm having uh, 489,000 downloads. Wow. Mm. Good That's for you. I'm almost blocking 500,000 soon. Nice. Mm. Nice. Now you're on a countdown Very now. Encouraging. And <laughs> I say that it's giving you a sustainable amount of income. Can it? Or is the revenue stream consistent? Exactly. Uh, now, the thing with Google Play is that it's really fragile in that they keep updating their policies each, and each time. <laughs> so... Uh, Yes, the revenue can be stable, you can make a living out of it, but now we have so many unforeseen events. Like uh, today in the morning, I got an email from Google telling me that uh, from August 
first, they'll not be supporting less than 64-bit. So here is that an email that I got from uh, Google saying that uh, in our latest blog post, we detail the requirement that apps using native code must provide a 64-bit version in addition to the 32-bit version by August 1st. So from August 1st, they'll not be supporting anything less than 64-bit. So you can see uh, the kind of things you go, you, you come into when you decide to uh, make a living out of gaming. Last week I also had a, a very big drop in the number of downloads per day. I don't understand what happened, but I think it's something to do with a change in the search algorithm by Google Play, and hopefully soon things will be back to normal. Mm-hmm. But you can really make a living out of games. It seems that you've done like phenomenally well um, with your game in terms of downloads. Um, what do you think needs to be done by like Kenyan game developers to achieve that level of success? Is, um, are we just doing the ASO and the development wrong, or do you think like there there needs to be like some changes in the market to enable them to like make better games? Um, in order to to speak uh, speaking about the Kenyan games, I've played a few Kenyan games. We had one by my friends in Jacob, the a game called Craving Carrots. We also had uh, Bungoma Hangman. I played it uh, for some time. And uh, what is really important for games, uh, that is when you want to get more users and uh, make a living out of games, is that there are a few things you need to understand. One is uh, user retention. That is, your game should be of good quality in that when a user downloads it, they, they don't uninstall it immediately. You have benchmarks on Google Play that provide you the user retention for one day, seven days, 15 days, and 30 days. We also have uh, something to do with the game size. That is, you need to have a game that is not really too big in that. If I'm a user interested in downloading your game and I find that your game is 1 GB or 200 MB, I'll definitely not download it. But if you have a game something like between 5 MB to 20 MB, I'll definitely download it. So the size matters as well. And uh, another thing is uh, constant updating of the game. Make sure that you take into account the user feedback. If users are complaining about a certain feature being wrong, and most of them, uh, in the, and the complaint is happening frequently, it means you really need to do something with it. And also, uh, so the quality, the user retention, the size of the game, regular updates, I feel that is what is important in order to make a living out of games. So, um, my question, it's a bit more, should I say, political, huh? So, basically, we need to be a podcast without politics. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because there was this thing, right? Oh, for those of you who don't know, um, Kevin is a student of mine, was a student of mine, so there was this thing, right, in my class, so I told them, that I don't pirate, right? I don't pirate anything. They kind of laughed at me, and I told them why. The reason I don't pirate anything is this is my industry, right? I see developers work hard. Somebody has built that thing which you want to get it for free. Somebody's hard and sweat. So I can't pirate. To me, it's like, you know, killing my own industry, right? There's something you've continually said about the Western market. And that's the thing I was telling uh, my class. I was like, build something and ignore the African market because the African market is not a market. There is no African market. For software, Africans will just 
take it for free, there is no African market. I'm not going to spend on it. So build something, ignore Africa, build it for the West. Yes. Okay, if you want to make a success out of any software, build it for the West, ignore Africa. Do you think I was correct in that? Was I just talking... Uh, that is really, really true uh, for, software, <laughs> for software. Maybe to give you a small breakdown in the... Uh, for my game, I've had like 40,000 users from Kenya. And from those 40,000 users, never, ever have I gotten <laughs> a cent or a purchase from Kenya. <laughs> but uh, for an equivalent number, from, from, from countries like Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand... I, I could have maybe a thousand users. Example, my best example is Norway. I have less than a thousand users from Norway, but I regularly get someone from Norway purchasing something. US, you, you don't even have to talk about US. US is the biggest income earner for me, uh, regardless of the number of installs. I could have US coming in at maybe number five in terms of total downloads, but uh, they but their share, the revenue from US could account for maybe 70% of the total revenue in the game. So for an African market, an Indian market, and those developing countries, basically, you don't have to sweat so much uh, to provide services or rather a game for those countries while thinking you'll make a lot from it. You just provide for them so that they can be part of the other world playing that game. But for revenue, focus on the top tier countries. So building games for Africa is just purely a fairy tale, in your opinion? No, building games for for the African market is just to make them part of the world that is oh, playing that game. Yeah. So <laughs> no, but the best part about uh, the African countries is that sometimes uh, you get sometimes you get decent revenue from advertising, but from inner purchases you get zero. So me, my question would be: Which country surprised you? Um, on that list of revenue? Oh, on the list of, in terms of revenue, yeah. uh, the countries that have really surprised me, one was South Africa. I, I, I once said that uh, an inner purchase from South Africa. I did not expect that one. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, I also had uh, a few inner purchases from India. And considering India the biggest market for uh, gaming uh I was surprised that to have someone really purchase something from India. And then we have the regular countries in terms of revenue earning could be Germany, USA, Canada, France, uh, Australia once in a while. Uh, and maybe sometimes you can be surprised by a, a, a developing country, someone from a developing country purchasing th- something, but it rarely happens. I'm yet to get someone from Kenya to actually purchase <laughs> something. So in total, you can see like how many countries are you? Is your game available? Uh, the game is available on Google Play. It's available to all the countries. Uh, the moment I'm not restricting any country because I do not have operational costs such as running servers and and all that. Yeah. So for the game is just available to everyone. Have you tried uh, marketing your application in the East? You know, in Chinese and Japan's and Koreas and probably maybe uh, editing your language to to suit those nations. Oh, maybe. Uh, on the thing about App Store optimization again, sometimes you need to change the language inside the game and even for the description and the name mm. to suit specific languages. Mm. But uh, I tried it before and did not have much success. Uh, I tried uh, creating uh, versions of the games in uh, Indian, Malaysia, Philippines, and uh, I saw a drop in the install, so 
I never gave it a second thought uh, <laughs> but it should work so mm-hmm. maybe my results were wrong maybe I did not use the right approach but for big games like Candy Crush Clash of Clans mm-hmm. when you actually visit their 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 game page uh, from other countries mm-hmm. you you'll find that uh, the version of that game available for that country has been translated so it's something you should look into but since some small developer uh, those are other costs that you really need to pay someone to do which I'm avoiding at the moment and um in terms of game development um you do a bit of swift and android right uh no i was learning swift you are learning swift yeah but uh your point is uh, you see when you, when you use an uh, an engine like unity mm-hmm. it's a cross cross platform engine so it means you can port to any platform so at the moment i've only had the google play version but if uh, i i i ported it to ios but uh, the the cost for acquiring an account in uh, for ios development is at $100 so at the moment maybe in future not mm. at the moment Oh, a final question from me will be about uh, putting your game under a company like Voodoo. Uh, I know it's it's a big company and it would take quite a phenomenal application to, you know, uh, get an invite from those people. So what what are your thoughts about people who do that and do you think it's a valid approach towards uh, making a hit application in the industry? Uh maybe to surprise you it's that it's not that hard to get an offer. Mm. I actually got an offer from uh, a studio called Lion Games. Mm. They wanted me to list my game as one of theirs and then we could do a revenue sharing kind of model. Mm. Uh what I someone is uh, if for a game that is not complete you're still testing on a lot of features and you you, you don't need to partner with them that early. And also publishers like Voodoo and Ketchup they have a specific niche mm. they focus on hyper casual games so since mine is not a hyper casual game it would not suit their portfolio so much mm. but uh, the offers they give you sometimes you need to consult a lawyer uh, so that they can you can you can get a deep understanding of their uh, their contracts and their their model and the revenue sharing kind of thing because mm. sometimes uh, it has happened before with a game like uh, Color Switch. Mm. Color Switch was a really big game on 2017. It was published under I've forgotten the publisher name but it was published under uh, a publisher. Mm. And uh, sometime in 2018 the publisher and the game developer uh, got into I think falling out uh, yeah, fallout and now the game had to be pulled down. So as you can see someone depending on that game for their uh, livelihood and then the game is being pulled down because of a few issues between the publisher and the developer mm. so you can see it's a really risky thing you need to consult maybe your lawyers get an understanding of the contract that you're getting and make sure that uh, it's your decision that you're mm. giving it to them but not them acquiring your game without you being sure of it but in terms of okay um assuming these are perfect all and the legal systems go perfectly and you are comfortable with the contract yes. would you consider it a viable risk um, in terms of you know owning a, a share of a very big application we had this discussion in our previous podcast about funding where we were talking about ownership and whether people should consider owning a small part of a very big thing or a whole part of something small would you consider this to be one of those situations yes uh 
maybe in an ideal world that deal would be really nice. Mm. Uh, if I could get an email, uh, I got an email from uh, Loli, the Lion Game Studio. Mm. They were telling me about uh, partnering with me for the game, and then they would they, basically when they when they would acquire my game, mm. uh, they'd give me funding for up to ten thousand dollars to market the game. Mm. So as you can see, that is really good money for marketing alone mm. and uh, when you partner with such publishers it means your game can, all, can would go to uh, installs such as 10 million 50 million and such so such numbers translate to really really decent revenue life-changing revenue mm. so in an ideal world publishers it's a deal the to best take deal, yeah but now since we it's not always that way. Yeah, yeah. You it's not an ideal world, so we don't think about ideal uh, situations. Yeah. Normally, <laughs> <laughs> what is the conventional revenue split? Or is it an, a situation whereby you, are, you as, a, as the game creator license the game to the company, then you get uh, like a margin as royalties consistently over a certain period of time? Or is it like a, an agreed revenue split, this uh, like a 40-60 split or something of that sort? How does it work? Yeah. Uh, it works with the 40, 60, 70, 30, depending on uh, how much you want to share or how much the game was good, how much the game is bringing in. Because if, if I have a game that is really uh, bringing in good money, I'd want to do something like 70, 30. Mm-hmm. Me retaining the 70% and them having the 30%. But uh, it also works similar to Google Play in that reven- any revenue from Google Play, it's at, it's at a 70, 30 split sharing model mm. so it also works that way for publishers but now from what I've gone through uh, from blog posts uh, and developers telling their stories about what happened when they got into a publishing deal is that uh, it's the publisher that handles all your revenue and then they'll now give you your 70% share mm-hmm. so that's not that's not what always happens sometimes you get a publisher that throws you under the bus mm-hmm. and uh, all your money goes that way so yeah. transparency and accountability are, are an issue sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I feel like you should not give them uh, all the access to your game. I feel it's better when they only deal with the marketing part of the games and then you'll deal with the revenue side of things or rather you can hire someone from finance to do the revenue thing and the splitting so that you only focus on improving the game while they focus on marketing it and then someone else does the finances. And to us, right? Yeah. Why would one, for example, you, okay, maybe because I have zero, you know, downloads of a game I've never created, but yeah. someone like you, to me, you're like huge, you have 400,000 mm-hmm. downloads, you, yeah. you, almost 500,000, yes, yeah, almost 500,000, and that, that's, that's huge for me, why would you want to get to a publisher rather than continue to build games under your own name and build yourself up to the point that, you know, you become a publisher and in turn, you know, start publishing games from, you know, your fellow people in your market, for example, in Kenya, who are coming in and then now you publish for them and you have the muscle and the capacity to grow them. Why not grow yourself? Uh, when, when, you, when you think of uh, a publisher as someone who will give you more exposure and more legitimacy in the business, mm. That that way you'll have to take their deals because for someone like me, uh, my game is more than a year old and uh, just crossed uh, four hundred and eighty-nine thousand downloads just recently. And under a publisher, 
would be talking of numbers like 5 million downloads per month. So when you say a publisher is a really good deal in terms of numbers that translates to revenue and legitimacy and big a big name out there. So I think yeah. does it aff- uh, does it affect the quality of, adver- of advertising that will come through publishers and uh, so that they increase your CPCs and everything you. I remember like this one time I was doing YouTube yeah. yeah, when once back in the day I was a YouTuber <laughs> and I I joined this publisher called um Full Screen. Yeah, Full Screen Publishers and the thing they used to do they would promise that they would give you a CPC of 5. Of course they never delivered but you know at least do, does is is there such a situation in in the in the gaming industry where uh, publishers promise better rates for advertising and everything. Uh what uh, the kind of deals you get from uh, the kind of emails i get from mm-hmm. advertising companies uh, is different for a publisher they'll only deal with uh, giving me more exposure mm-hmm. or taking my game under their wing so that uh, the game grows becomes bigger but they do not deal with the uh, revenue uh, the, the amount of money i get from advertising oh. in any way because yeah. to them i only get downloads from them but sometimes you get emails uh, from other publishing other advertising companies sorry asking me to maybe try out their SDK promising me of really good money up to maybe $5 per 1000 impressions mm. impressions is uh, where when an advertisement is shown mm. so uh, i've gotten a few emails before let me just look for one really quick uh, whereby they tell you to try out their platform they guarantee you really crazy money at the moment since I've partnered with Google uh, Google their average uh, average CPM cost per mile is $1 to $2 when it goes on the higher side mm. but uh, when you get emails uh, from other publishing other advertising companies sorry uh, such as let me just look for one Here there's one telling me the uh, asking me to try out their platform telling me that uh, they would give me an ECPM of up to $25 per 1000 impressions Damn. so as you can see it's really good money that they promise you but since it's a new platform new mm. SDKs to integrate it's sometimes i don't think it's worth it because with Google it's guaranteed they'll pay you they'll never delay with your money mm. and uh, with Google advertisements are available for every region in the world so it means when you get a, a player from india mm. when you get a player from the antarctica they'll always get be an shown advert <laughs> but yeah. with with the new advertisement companies they sometimes they would not serve advertisements in certain regions mm. yeah All right so going to 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 outside of 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 your application and everything and back into the bigger scope which is the gaming industry what sort of gaming trends are you seeing uh, in taking taking steam yeah getting gaining more steam in 2019 uh i'd say the hyper casual games that mm. is uh, really peaking at the moment it started at some time in 2017 mm. that is uh, that is what the gaming industry is turning to lean towards because uh when you when you have a game like Color Switch when you have a game mm. like Rise Up Helix Jump it's a really sticky game in mm. that you just get need hooked. to play for a minute to get addicted to it mm. so users would prefer such hyper casual games because you do not need to think so much about it it's addictive it's small in size compared to uh, compared to the strategy games mm. and also it they come out often 
because mm. hyper casual games i think each month there is a game trending mm. but for games uh, strategy games like candy crush you have candy crush has been around for almost 7 years now mm. so you can imagine someone playing your game for 7 years compared to someone playing a new game each month that is really interesting and uh, addicting so the, the new trend is maybe hyper casual games all right any other questions from any one of you guys i had a question about um how you target the users for your games um do you sometimes um i've seen stories about developers trying to make the games as attractive as possible to children who can sometimes maybe make like um um purchase yeah accidental <laughs> so um, how do you think we can exploit this to the maximum and if your parents like um like some members of of the panel today um like how yeah how do how do you safeguard against this accidental uh, transaction that is really interesting because when when you target kids kids sometimes do crazy transactions a kid can make a purchase for up to $100 <laughs> inside the game because they were enjoying the game but it's not a good uh, it's not a good approach because uh, if if a transaction was made accidentally the parent has a space of 7 uh, days to request for a refund mm. so if they request for a refund google play will definitely give them their cash back so on your side you've not uh, you not get any revenue then also When you, when, for games targeting kids and families uh, i think from 9 and below you have to request for special uh, certification so in order to have your game recommended under the kids section it means uh, you google will have to check for things like accidental clicks on the advertisements mm-hmm. are not available uh, accidental purchases by kids is not done and also when you when you log into the google play application itself uh, you have a tab when you just go to the settings you have a tab telling you about uh, payment methods and authorizing each transaction so you can have a pin so that a child does not accidentally make a purchase yeah. so advice is that if you want to target kids and families just follow the right uh, policies required by google in that do not do not push for accidental clicks and purchases because that way your account will be suspended one one thing about um I'll call you an entrepreneur because of a game it's yours built and your one thing about it we've had right it's uh, great patience yeah. and determination and not giving up right yeah. which okay isn't the story we get told most of the time we always think of the people who've made it uh, one it wonders we don't know that amazon has been there for years it started by just first selling books we just know amazon now but interesting you say that your game has been for over a year because immediately you said you have uh, 500,000 500, you know you're hitting north of 500,000 downloads but all this time we've been talking in my head your game you know is a few months old <laughs> i actually did not think that you so give us the journey like you first upload it and then you know you get like one download a, a month and then <laughs> you know yeah so uh, yeah. okay maybe to break it down to you uh, every developer out there building the game is not the hardest part marketing mm. it is mm. 10 times the challenge 
uh, when for a developer you you just think uh, when your game is ready you publish it to Google Play and uh, you just wait for the millions. Sadly, <laughs> that's not uh, what happens. Maybe to quote people like uh, Rovio, the the makers of Angry Birds, they they tried 52 times on the 53rd attempt is when they hit success. So you can really see how much work you need and sometimes a bit of luck mm. for your game to be a hit. Mine, uh, when I first published it, uh, I also hoped I'd make instant millions, uh, but that was not the case. In my first month, I had to do some advertising. And for my first month, I had uh, 1,166 downloads. That is with, with a lot of emailing, asking people to download my app, a lot of Facebook uh, bothering people, a lot of posting on WhatsApp, uh, mm. groups, Telegram, all those platforms, bugging people, asking them to asking them to go check out my game. And with only that, it only managed to get uh, eleven sixty six downloads. So you can see it's really it's really hard. Now after that. That is when I realized I need to be serious in, with marketing, so I need to come up with a strategy that could be sustainable. Because when you think of Google Play uh, advertising with Google, it's really expensive. Because uh, to get an install costs something like between 10 shillings to sometimes even 200 shillings, depending on the country. A user to acquire a user from the United States would cost you even up to $10. Whereas acquiring someone from maybe India, Kenya, uh, Africa would cost you something like 10 shillings. So with, when, with advertising, you don't just jump into it because it will cost you and it's not sustainable. Mm. So before advertising, I went and uh, researched on what other people have done. And I realized that is when I needed to optimize my game, the description, the icons, make it as eye-catching as possible for the most conversions. Because you want, when a user visits your game page, mm. the chances of them downloading the game is really high. That is achieved through a really good call to action, a really good icon. You want, when a user searches for, your, for a game and yours happens to be in the search results, your icon is like catching enough to make the user click on your icon. And when they now visit your page, your short description, your screenshots, your game trailer, is really good to make them convert. By convert meaning download your game. Mm. So after optimizing all that, it took me around six months to have the game looking what it looks like on the uh, Play Store at the moment. When you have, when, when everything has been optimized, though optimizing is something that you keep, uh, you keep doing and doing and doing and doing. So at the moment, I feel I'm comfortable with the, with the numbers, but it's something you need to keep up improving it. Mm. So when the game had been optimized now, that is when I now tried out uh, ad paid advertising. So with paid advertising, after, after doing all the redesign of the graphic assets, uh, the, the cost to acquire a user went down to up to two shillings per user. Mm. So that is, uh, that is, you can see the difference. Two shillings per user? In yeah, to space. acquire a user, mostly yeah. from... Uh, mostly from the third world countries and the mm. second world countries. But a user from US, I can acquire them at around 30 shillings, mm. which is really, really cheap compared yeah, to getting them at the cost value. like $10. Yeah. Dollars. Mm -hmm. yeah. And considering a user from United States has a higher chance of spending inside the game. It's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. But mm. what I'd say is for users, uh, no, for game developers uh, out there, focus on 
optimizing your game make sure when a user visits your game they really love or they really want to download the game instantly because making the game is making the game yes it's hard but advertising the game or rather getting exposure is the hardest part yeah and um in terms of collaboration yeah. how do you think game designers can partner best with um creative directors or graphic designers product designers to design better games because maybe it's not a one person journey or experience do you think there's enough collaboration happening in Africa or in Kenya and what can we do to foster better collaboration uh maybe for Kenya the gaming industry is not really big in Kenya at the moment uh, so uh, what i can give is uh, the procedure of making a game sometimes when you you first need to have a really fast prototype so you just need to get a game uh, draw some chart flows of how things will happen inside the game what the user does what the user does not do to win what the and uh, the game flow basically so when you have that a game flow uh, drawn that is when you translate it to the code version or rather uh, the game itself inside a, a platform like unity now with that game when you first build your first uh, your beta release you can test it now you can give it to the family and friends to play it and give you some feedback so if if the uh, if the core functionality or the core product you have is really interesting so it means uh, it's something that could work out there so after getting the feedback from users telling you your game is interesting and nice that's when you now need to have graphic designers animators all those designers everyone to do for you quality game assets that is uh, you have things like uh, the splash screen should be really beautiful backgrounds assets textures environments all that should be done by professional because when you do it on your own trust me you cannot be good at everything you'll mm. do some substandard work but it's for now it's really cheap because when you have platforms like uh, gra- graphic river yeah for graphic river you get free game not free paid for game assets but that are really good quality so when you want to build a game at the moment you don't have to focus on maybe creating textures and all because uh, graphic river has that for you you just need to go and purchase uh, graphic assets that are uh, in tune to the theme of the game you're building you have uh, resources like uh, fiver where you can get free you can get really cheap designers uh, you can re- get also cheap animators for your videos for your promo videos you can also get icon designers you can also get people that will optimize all your that the description and all all that for a really cheap fee compared to doing it on your own so maybe my advice to my fellow canadians is that focus on the quality you can always get cheaper and better services online rather than paying for it really expensive yeah so um Permit me to ask how long did it take you to create your game from saying that you want to create your game till finally uh, publishing it huh? not the beta version the actual uh, <laughs> version uh the final version you cannot say when it was completed because each time you'll be up- updating 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 but maybe the first copy that could actually be playable 
was done in around four months, sort of. From conception to building? Yeah, to from deployment. conception to uh, the ah. first release on Google Play. That is with thousands of videos being watched, thousands of uh, debugging uh, tutorials online and all. But uh, my advice to uh, someone trying or venturing into gaming for the first time, they should check out this software called Buildbox. Mm. It's really simple. In a few, in, in maybe one week you can understand its interface, and within two weeks you'll be building really nice game, the hyper casual games, mm. because you just need to have the graphic assets uh, ready and and uh, the game flow in 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 your mind of how you want things to happen, and then they'll give you preset templates that you can work with to have your fast and really quick version of the game. And it's like Unity, it's uh, cross-platform. Yes, and the good thing is it's cross-platform. So, and uh, just like Unity, you, you, you have to build the, you can build the APK from Buildbox, or you can also export it to Android Studio and add a few features, yeah. So a question I have is, what were, are there any barriers to entry that you encountered? when you decided to venture into gaming? Yes, a lot of barriers actually. Uh-huh. Uh, but most of them, I, I, I met them during the marketing side of things. Mm-hmm. Because you realize when in Google Play, when you release a new game, when you release a new game on Google Play, developers are given, new games are given uh, a promotional period of 30 days. In that, within the first 30 days of you publishing your game, Google will sort of uh, give you a first priority to be discovered. Now, when that period has gone, your downloads, everything plummets to the floor in that you'll never be discovered. So that was my first surprise. After the 30 days, Google no longer push for your game in the top new free games. So without any advertising, without good marketing strategies, without optimizing your page, Everything drops. That is my first challenge. So the, 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 the hardest part has always been getting more exposure because sometimes you need to pay for it. Sometimes paying for it does not work because you, you get users that are not well engaged. By engaged, I mean when you get a user, you should get a user that plays your game. And while playing your game, that is when they can make purchases. So sometimes you spend a good money on getting users that don't even play your game that much. So that the challenging part is always getting users. Okay, so Collins, um, you learned how to develop games yourself. So you, you, you would say that you're self-taught. Yeah. Um, some people learn differently and sometimes some people may not have the privilege of learning by themselves on YouTube or having access to equipment. So just as a note, I guess, to curriculum designers in Kenya or in Africa, um, what would you say is lacking or needs to be done more of in terms of the education space and teaching young people or students how to design games? Um, To give my, or what I wish would have happened for me, according to how I learned uh, developing games is, if back then I knew that there are awesome and cheap courses from platforms like Udemy that go for as cheap as $10 to learn the whole almost 2,000 hours or something close to that, 
to understand fully how games work, how to build one of your own, how to even uh, conceptualize a game. That was some. That would have been something that would have made me uh, build my games much much faster. So a piece of advice I'd give to everyone, especially to the parents, if if you know your kid is interested in games and building games of their own, take the initiative and uh, purchase for them these really cheap costs. They go for ten dollars, ten dollars from learning C sharp to actually working with Unity 3D to even building your first games, debugging your game. Just pay for them. You never know. They might need it. And for guys in university, guys outside of finished school and uh, interested in gaming or learning gaming, just come together as friends or you, your friends. Ask, just ask someone to pay for you. They, they're really cheap and that's the most efficient way because when you, when, you, when you rely on a place like YouTube, sometimes you might be following someone's playlist and all along the way they drop or they stop producing those videos. It does not mean that you stop uh, your game development. But since we have platforms like Udemy, you have even Unity, they have the official tutorials. Just work with that. I feel it will be much faster to learn gaming that way. Collins, if someone has questions on building a successful game or just to do with um, applications development, where exactly can they reach you? I would not call mine a successful at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I still need a lot of downloads. Uh, but if you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Chirukol. I'm on Instagram with the same name. I'm on Quora under the same name. You yeah, can just find can link them spell. below the podcast. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll leave a link to my Twitter username below. Yeah. You can ask me questions about getting users. You can ask me questions about uh, finding quality users. The best way, no, <laughs> for free. I love this one for free. Finding users, app store optimization, a little bit about design, places you can get really cheap resources for your games. I can even give you my access to uh, the gaming resources that I've used along the way, how to think about the game, how to compare with your with your competitors, how you can borrow ideas, the best ways you can you can implement features, what users are asking for. You can always ask me about that. I'll leave my Twitter username below. All right. Uh, for for the record, uh, for even uh, for those of you who are interested in development and you know uh, finding further further information on how you can promote your application, easy sources on on how you can develop an Android apps and even iOS apps. There's this really really good podcast that will be linked in the description. Yeah, and you can listen to this guy. He talks about various marketing ways for uh, you know gaining publicity for your podcast. It's a specific game development podcast which name I can't seem to find and yeah uh, oh yeah um, yeah let, I'll link it to the description I can't find the name yet so yeah it will be there it's a really good podcast I've been listening to it in preparation for this podcast and it's a good one maybe to, to tell the guys on what they can what I feel guys should also learn or venture into is uh, the VR and AR space at the moment mm. Uh, it's still new, so it means the gold rush is still there. If you learn VR and AR and learn to incorporate it in your games, it will be a big hit in the future. It's what I'm learning also at the moment. Mm -hmm. So guys can also try that. Mm -hmm. 
So guys, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We look forward to your feedback and any questions you may have. Have an amazing week. Um, see you next time.